This podcast is brought to you by Cash App, the easiest way to send, spend, save, and invest. Cash App helps you connect effortlessly with your finances and with your people. And if you ask me, that's money, bro. So in the spirit of things that are money, here's how DJ Them Jeans stays connected with his people. Cash App helps me connect effortlessly with my finances as well as my fiance. So yesterday, she gave me a ride to the Sweet Green event at the Flamingo Estates. As we're beginning to move our lives together, both uh, in love and as well as fiscally, um, we have a shared credit card. So, you know, it can get a little tricky with who gets the Delta points <laughs> yeah. on the Lyft account because, you know, that is a nice little kicker. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just to make sure it's not messy and just make sure it's kind of clean, uh, you know, at the end of the month for our financial advisors mm-hmm. or just use Cash App. So. She'll give me a ride, and depending on how mm-hmm. bad this, the car smells and, you know, little things like that, like, <laughs> I kind of like a fast driver, and she'll go a little slow in the turns, and mm-hmm. that's how you kind of go from a, a, a four-star to a three-star ride, mm-hmm. and that's how you kind of go from a, a $10 cash up to a $5, but this is how we learn. No, no, for sure, for sure. Whether you're sharing a perfect day with your, uh, your fiancé, sending, spending, saving, investing, splitting, tipping, donating... And gifting, the number one finance app in the App Store is Cash App. That is fucking money as hell, bro. Download Cash App in the App Store or Google Play today. Add your cash tag to the 80 million and counting. How long gone? Uh, Tuesday afternoon, I just got off the tennis court. I feel like I might have a Rafael Nadal-style uh, abdominal tear. Oh. If you have any remedies for that, Jason, let me know. The backhand was too powerful today. Something's going on Abdominal down there. tear. This is a common bottom injury. Are you icing <laughs> it, race, resting it, elevating it? I am doing that. Unfor- the rice method? Unfortunately, my abs might not be quite as defined as, as Rafa's. So I think it's like maybe it's – I can't. I don't know if that means it's an easier or harder injury to get. But I'm feeling something on my left-hand side, obviously where my power comes from as a lefty. Just wanted to kind of level set before we start podcasting. And I am dealing with a sports injury. Um, you know, I do have a lot of remedies for them, but they don't fit into your sobriety schedule at this moment. No, and, yeah, uh, no, they don't. You know, I'll try to think of something else, maybe a good book, nice cup of mint tea. Who knows? You have left uh, the South. You've returned to the... Um beautiful state of california where you kind of feel the most comfortable how does it how does it feel to be back after just a couple days of eating q and talking crap breathtaking love it (laughs) absolutely loving it came back from the airport bay bay swooped me up and then we went straight to uh to pasadena to visit our friend davide to enjoy some fine Italian cashmeres, Mm. the 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 ghiaia store it's a different world over there you know, it's a different world over there. Davide lives in a different dimension, and it's one that I am um, both jealous and fearful of. A different dimension, eh? Yeah, exactly. But I wanted to talk about um, I wanted to talk about a few things that are going on before we get to our guest, uh, and and I know that this is kind of hitting you a little below the b- below the belt, just because you're such a Billy Eichner guy. But bros, <laughs> um, bros did bomb, and Billy is blaming us, Jason, the straight community, for the movie failing. But then right before we started recording today, I, f- I saw a tweet from uh, Variety. Breaking. Breaking. Hashtag bros nearly featured a $30,000 butt rig operated by two puppeteers. 
Uh, Billy Eichner says, we were going to shoot a rim job moment, but then the White Lotus beat us to the punch, so we cut that. Mm. So you want, Billy, you want me to go see your movie, your gay movie, you ain't got no rim jobs, <laughs> and... Like what do you, what what kind of gay movie is this, dude? Like I thought this was you're talking about this like you're revolutionizing the film industry. This is something we've never seen before, and I mean I just don't I don't know, Jason. It just doesn't seem that compelling to me. Do I want to spend fifty dollars to go to go see this movie if there is no rim job featuring puppeteers? Yeah, I mean I'm I like the the idea of trying to keep the Jim Henson guys you know keep a little dough in their pocket. It's That's been right. tough time for for the puppet industry as we all. No, and we've talked about it a lot on this show, but yeah, I mean, in my opinion, you know, I don't see why we can't have make a better one, make a better, make a cooler one, make a funnier one. Just, just do a more rim job. Yeah, your challenge is to do a better one. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I think Mike White would love to be topped. Not, not like that. I mean, like, like topped. <laughs> oh, like, Christopher. I'm sorry, like beaten. You know what I mean? And then, and then the. Oh. The bar gets raised, you know what I mean? And then we get more gay films. We get more explicit gay films. We get NC-17, Marilyn Monroe style. Mm-hmm. But I'm just, I'm just, I didn't know if you were in a rush to kind of get over to IPIC, order order a 12-piece and, and, and kind of settle into this, or if you're going to wait for it on VOD. I initially wanted, I heard some interviews with him at first, and he was sort of, mm-hmm. it was before the film had come out, so he had high hopes, and he was sort of talking about the more higher concept selling points of the film it's not just like hey judd apatow made this you know he every movie he makes is fucking amazing and this is no different and we had a lot of fun making it a lot of fun writers and you know whatever mm-hmm. but then it started getting a little kind of a little too preachy preachy of like did you guys just make a regular comedy movie or do you now believe that you're you're, you're changing the world you're changing the problem with our society jason and and uh Kanye West has suffered from this now is that everybody thinks every little thing they do is changing society and shifting the paradigm and that is mm-hmm. the problem like I, I do want to talk about Kanye Kanye next by the way you made a movie and it um it didn't go well and you're bl- you're lashing out at the straight community and if if the movie had some celebrities in it maybe we would see yeah. it yeah you know what I'm saying I don't know I don't know what happened in, in central in central casting but I don't think it was I, I don't think the I know what happened Billy thought he was the celebrity that's exactly right that's exactly right and he fucked up and he's learning his lesson and now he's going to have a tough time for the next couple years until he uh you know writes a book or rebounds from this but i'm not i'm not that worried about billy yeah straight straight people should have gone out to see this movie more but it's i don't know if it's necessarily their fault i think it's just nobody's going to go like the only movie that did well theatrically i mean this is probably not true but in my yeah in my small world was was top gun that was the only real like smash box office hit and and also in my recollection the only film that like did anything but bad in the theaters like you you have to have a movie that feels like a video game or a a roller coaster or in order to sell tickets in 2022 because you know post-covid world it's no one's going to see like I, I I can't wait to check out the dialogue on this film whether or not it's about straight people or gay people kissing. No, I disagree. I think that you can go two ways. You can be blockbuster garbage shit or you can be full on like art house like art film and people will go see sure. it. But this is in between and that's the problem. It's nothing. It's just nothing. It's just like a mid rom-com with guys you sort of recognize from cable TV. 
and that's that's the actual issues and it's not enough do you can you can you name an art house film that did well in in theatrical release other i mean i guess there's a couple of those a24 joints or whatever, well i think those but, well the, dip, the the scale is different if you you know what i mean if this is a th- they yeah, spent the 30 they spent 30 million dollars to make this movie it's not going to make the money back and it's not going to be critically acclaimed you got to pick one yeah if you're gonna you know what i mean if you're gonna if you're gonna bomb at the box office at least get an award or be up for an award but this this you know checks none of those boxes i think that's the issue and also so many so many films when they're factoring in the theatrical release of like okay the only way this is really going to get a full ride and we're going to put bucks behind it you know like bj novak vengeance style is to number one like this movie is good it has stars in it uh and it, it has the potential to make its money back that's great but number number two is like will china watch this will india watch this? yeah for will, sure global it will global. It be a worldwide sex uh, a worldwide success and oh okay m- many of the many of the country's revenue streams uh that they're depending on to make their kind of third and fourth quarters uh being gay is not even legal in those countries let alone you know being able to show a rim job or two guys kissing like yeah this movie ain't gonna ain't gonna hit over uh, over in the middle east yeah the only thing that's gonna hit is uh, some kind of stick on your back in in a, in a town square like i don't think it's illegal to be gay in china but they definitely don't love it they're not gonna promote it in theaters like they would a fast and furious title that's for sure we have a few minutes before our guest joins yeah. us but I don't really even want to talk about Kanye West because, like, I don't care. And it's just, like, mm-hmm. people don't learn their lesson. Like, this guy has done this shit for, like, three years and everybody kind of just forgets. But I don't remember who told us this, Jason. Somebody on the inside mm. told us that his his goal was to be in the press every single day. Mm-hmm. That's what he wanted to do. He wanted to be infamous and be in the press every single day. And if that is his goal, then he's accomplishing that. Mm-hmm. And if, if his goal is anything else, he is failing miserably. <laughs> Shitty goal to have... Uh, but a, a success, I guess the other person that comes to mind with that same goal would be Donald Trump. And, you know, Kanye West has billions of dollars that he is seemingly made legally that can be taxed by the government and he owns in his possession, whereas Trump may or may not have the, have all that. So I don't think Kanye, I actually, I disagree. I don't think Kanye has that much money. I think he's got money, but I don't think he has as much money as people think he has, as he has. Mm-hmm. Because it's he spends too much and it's like all i mean you saw when he was trying to when he's like even his catalog it isn't worth that much it was like kind of crazy when those numbers was he trying out. to sell oh they were predicting what his catalog would go for if he sold his masters yeah because there's so many writers and like the whole thing it's like obviously it's good bread but like five or ten million dollars a year ain't shit no it's not shit for somebody who says to be a self-proclaimed billionaire right yeah and also to like do things that you i mean i don't think he i don't care about mental health i don't care about any of that stuff like i think it's just like you're torpedoing your career and whether you're cognizant of that or not, like that's on you chief. Like it's, it's insane. Like to send that shirt down the runway is insane. And you know, there's going to be blowback. I don't care how fucking drunk you are. Mm -hmm. You know that, (laughs) you know, you know that holding hands with Candace Owen at a fashion show is going to cause problems. People are going to be upset. And I just don't, I I don't care if there's mental health. I don't care if he's off his meds. Like Mm -hmm. why does anybody have empathy for that? I don't know why anybody has empathy for this guy. Like who cares? How many times do we have to learn? How many times do we have to to learn our lesson? You know, well, because I mean, have you heard Gold Digger? That's what I'm saying. He hasn't put out good music in I don't know 15 years. No, no pun intended. Just kidding. Gold Digger is the least favorite Kanye (laughs) song ever made, in my opinion. Um, But I I I like him as a absurdist artist. If he really is just going full anarchy mode and saying fuck it, then I'm into stuff like that because nobody else does anything like that, especially people who have the the means to sort of create whatever world they want to create and 
enough people are brainwashed and drinking the Kanye juice to sort of do his bidding. And it's funny and cool until it's not. But none of it's. But that's hurting, the problem. None of it's hurting people. Yeah, it's just, it's just like you can't really. Well, until he starts hurting good people. Well, that's the thing. It's like making fun of the guy at Adidas. Not good music. It's fucking funny. You know what I mean? Like it's it's all funny into a point. No, it's not funny. And it's just like when you're pushing it this far on this public of a scale, you're going to encounter some fucking pushback, Chief. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because it's it's also like. There's no good music. The clothes aren't like nothing's good. There's no good output, mm-hmm. and that's usually as 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 our we've learned many times in this country. We will forgive Michael Jackson because we like his song so much. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like like we don't we don't care what you do as long as you're talented enough. Usually, and I think this is a case where he's just he's gone too far down the hole. Yeah. You know, there's nothing there's nothing there's nothing left. You know, mm-hmm. um, and I'm I for one. I'm happy to see him go because I find it all annoying and I never even bought a pair of Yeezys. So fuck you, Jason. You actually did, but it was store credit. But I mean, I, I think <laughs> to use your your reference to Michael Jackson, um, being a, a Chicago person, he, in his mind, I thought I was untouchable like MJ, but he's really more like an, an R. Kelly situation where it's like you are untouchable up until a point. And and you hit that point, and I don't think Kanye is going to spend the rest of his life in jail like Kells. But no, no, no. But you know, people can only take so much. You know, friend of the show, Gabriella K. Johnson. You know, she had a very well written criticism of why a lot of people would consider it to be a bad idea to make a shirt that says "White Lives Matter." <laughs> yes, and yes. you know, very yeah, measured, yeah. very respectful of him and his art, and very understanding of his position and. And he, you know, he flames her and she's a, you know, she's a beloved woman that truly is so nice. Well, and every, everybody no, we know is just like, she's the best, you know, but that's not even the, that's not you, you gotta like, bro, she's a civilian. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's kind of the, the like, yeah, that's true. it's just like, you know, what's going to happen when you do this because you have millions of fucking incels that are going to ruin her yeah. life on Instagram for, you know, exactly what you're doing. And it's like, she's, she's not a celebrity. She's an editor. She's a stylist. She's in the public eye, but she ain't a celebrity. It ain't even. You know what I'm saying? It's not an no. even match. Like it's not a. It's not a. It's not a battle. It's a extermination. Yeah. But they should do. He should do a debate with with Gabriella and Kanye. Oof. Put that shit on verses. I would love to watch that. If we know who's gonna win. All right. Well, um, let's get into our guests now. Um, we we've we're all ready to go. Um, DJ Fat Tony coming in all the way from across the pond. He's a, a legendary DJ. Mate. Um, 80s, 90s. Up until today, he's known for DJing for lots of crazy celeb, <laughs> celebrity clients and, and people like Prince and Madonna and the royal family and the Beckhams and all that. And just like Chris Black, he has a history of... <laughs> enjoying substances a bit more than other people so there's a lot to <laughs> chew on here with dj fat tony and also i come from a dj background myself and we're both a couple of anglophiles and we enjoy gay baiting so this should be everything you could ever want <laughs> in an the- episode of how long gone Let- let's give him a jingle how you getting on now that the queen's passed tony you all right yeah i'm good you know what i live right by buckingham palace and uh oh wow you know however much compassion i have for uh, our monarchy. The Queen was an amazing person, and I just loved everything she stood for. The rest of the family are kind of, they can kind of do their own thing. But, you know, for me, it, it became a real inconvenience because every road was shut. Yeah. You could not get a taxi, you <laughs> couldn't ride a bike, because they just closed all the roads. And I live, I, I live right by the Houses of Parliament, so it's just that whole area is a no-go. 
Tony, how um, how often are you DJing still nowadays? Uh, probably about three or four times a week. Three or four times a week, wow. Jason. Jason's dumbass can't even get it together to do it twice a month. What's the secret? I mean, like last week I was in Ibiza, Milan, Paris. Uh, tomorrow I'm off to do something for Meta, Facebook for three days uh, in the countryside. Uh, then I got three gigs over the weekend. Yeah, it's great. You know. I'm more busy than I've ever been. With sobriety or just over the, or like post-COVID? No, I, I just think, you know, for me, it's, it's been a gradual build over the last 15, 16 years when I got clean and sober mm-hmm. to rebuild my life. But now I've got it to a point where I say no to things I don't want to do and I say yes to the things that I love. And that's the difference. And I really think that the more you say no to the things that you don't want to do, along come the big yeses. You got what I'm yes, that's right, and I'm glad to I'm glad to know that you love Facebook as much as we do because that's kind of something that I I really I love. I, I'm glad we have that in common, Tony. I'm more of an Instagram man. I love Instagram. <laughs> You're right; they own it. Well, I th- I think with the DJ, everyone has their price of like, hey, do you want to do this? You know, wedding for this footballer that you hate, and you're like, no, and then they're like. I'll keep writing zeros on the check, and and eventually you'll say yes, right? That's how it goes. Well, you know, most footballers' weddings that I've done or their children, I can't really quite like. You know what I mean? I, I there's a mm. real in saying no. I say no to like so many things. I get offered gigs in Saudi, and I'll say no to that because I don't stand with their stand with their human rights. They're trying to get a lot of us to come over there to to, to Saudi Arabia. I. I haven't gotten the invite yet, which is kind of feels disrespectful, but I guess that's just where we're at. You'll get it, I'm sure. You know, they, 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 they're, they're, uh, they, yeah, they're offered a lot of money. You know, you know they, 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 I have to believe in what I do, otherwise there's no point to it. Uh, back in the day when you were less than sober, would you say yes to everything? I would say yes to everything, but I would never get to anything. <laughs> <laughs> you you get the deposit, and that's about it. I'm glad that you've moved past that, and you're able to now get booked for gigs and show up. I think that's that's growth. You know what? It is growth. It's personal growth. <laughs> you know, it, it, I think I've missed one gig in 16 years. Damn, that that is that's very good. Wow. You know, last like for instance, I do this party at a weekend called Full Fat. And the whole thing is a brunch, and we sell out months in advance. There's 800 people on every waiting list for every every gig. And the week before last, I had to go to Ibiza to do something for TV. But the night before, I was in Milan doing Versace with Paris Hilton. And I went, left there. I, I'd heard mine in DJ next to me. It's amazing. <laughs> and um, I left there and went to straight to, to Thingy and didn't do my brunch. Oh my god, the hate mail that I got. <laughs> the amount of people that were calling me, you're nothing but you know, I'm gonna say the word, you're nothing but a cunt. You didn't turn up, you couldn't be bothered to show up. And it's just like, hang on guys, I'm working somewhere else. Do you get what I mean? <laughs> and so you know, it's, for me it's kinda of, I kinda of get it because people have traveled a long way to come and see you play and expect you to be there, but at the same time it's like is Ronald McDonald at every McDonald's? <laughs> And also, it's like, um, you know, when when it's like, oh, you're too good or like you're whatever, you know, you're not. And it's sort of like, who's the joke on? Like, I would rather hang out with Donatella and and Paris than you who works, you know, a finance job and hangs out at the pub. It's just a certain level in your career where people expect a certain level from you. And, you know, if you don't show that and they travel a long way, they kind of feel like they own you a little bit due to social media. And Instagram and everything else that I'm on, yeah, you know, they kind of feel that they they they've got a right to say what they want to say to you. 
Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, we exper- we experienced that with this podcast. People love to tell us when something's good or bad, and I'm not really interested in that kind of feedback myself. Take your legal fuck off. There we go. That's <laughs> my man. You get it. Um, I know that you don't do drugs anymore. You you said you're about 15, 16 years sober. Speaking of brunch, what 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 is a good what's a good drug for brunch? Like back in the day, if you were the DJ, <laughs> like you you you're you're DJing these brunches now, stone cold sober. You're having some cold brew, probably. I'm not stone cold sober. Oh. There's a difference. No, 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 no. I'm sober. I don't drink. I don't take drugs. I get high off music. Mm-hmm. I get high. You know, for me, music is the best drug you'll ever take. In you're your not life. a DJ. You're a drug dealer. <laughs> no, I am a drug dealer in that sense. Because you know what? For me, it's about, you know, there's a difference between going somewhere and listening to music, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's a real amazing thing if you go somewhere and feel the music. Feeling music, when you, as soon as you learn to feel music, it takes you on this whole different ball game and a uh, d- different level of being in where you are. You actually feel where you are, and you're, suddenly your phone stays in your pocket, and you're not looking where everyone else is. Is and you're in the moment. And I, and I think for me, I get really high very quickly off of music and, and that energy. I feel the energy on the dance floor. If people aren't having a good time, I don't have a good time. I feel that energy. Oh, yeah. As an addict, I pick up, I can have been in a room of 3,000 people and the two negative cunts that are in the room that are slagging me off, I will zoom in on. And I, you know, if I'm, I used to allow that to control where I went. Do you know what I'm saying? But I don't. I need to learn. I, all right. So I'm, I'm sober as well. It's been almost like six years. Um, and I have yet to learn how to get high off the music, and I'm going to need some tips because, like, I, I think that would help me you know, a lot in my journey. Are, are you into music? Do you listen? Do you go to clubs? Do you actually look? I can be in my house and I can just say, literally, ask my my my, my sonus in every room to play a certain track, and that track will transport me to the most happiest place on earth. Right? That's feeling it. That's not listening to it. That's actually feeling it. That's feeling the emotion in it. When you actually absorb that that energy and, and that, you know, it, it evokes this whole part of our brain that, you know, the euphoric recall of of times gone by. And and those levels of being high come straight back. Yeah. And that's what music does. Do you know what I mean? If you if we're there and we're yeah. and we're wondering what everyone else has got in their pocket or what they've got at home that we we can get off them. Or what you know, or you're there trying to on the hunt for something else. You're not going to absorb the music. You're there for another reason. You're disconnected. You know, it's like if I smoke crystal meth, right? My cortex becomes un- unattached at the front, so I no longer am attached to the rest of my brain. Mm. I have like you know that's why I will start doing. I'll have uncommon sense instead of common sense. Sure. In that environment, if you're there for another purpose, you're not going to be connected to what you're there, the, the primary purpose. Do you get what I'm saying? Okay, well, there's two things that you're doing at the club if you're not connected with the music, and that's hunting for tail or doing drugs. And, you know, I'm not doing either of those things, so I could focus on the music. Yeah, you do. You know, just literally get your ass in the middle of the dance floor and just, just get absorbed by it. Stand by the fucking speaker. I have another, pro- <laughs> I have, I have another problem, Tony. I don't think... <laughs> I don't think straight men should dance. What do you think about that? <laughs> well, yeah, I'm kind of on the same page as you, really. Straight white men. When uh, For listeners at home, when he said that, he was pointing directly at us through the Zoom, I felt. I was. I was like, you two. 
the reason they, they're really bad dancers is because they're not connected to the music. They come up to what everyone else is thinking about them. Yeah, you're right. If Maybe I just need to unlock. There's a very simple sentence that sums it up for you. Free your mind and your ass will follow. And you, you clearly haven't freed your mind. Exactly. Damn, you're all right. You know what I'm saying? Because I do have incredible rhythm, Tony. That's not what. That's that's not my problem. If I had a dollar for every man that told me they had incredible rhythm, I'd be fucking millionaire. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's the story of my life. You know? <laughs> yeah, I've got incredible rhythm. You're gonna have the time of your life. No, you ain't. <laughs> there was no rhythm in the for thirty seconds, and I leave my house. But you know. Um, <laughs> okay this is all great advice this is all great advice i'm learning from a pro jason can never help me you know and, and he's he's in a similar position but he's just not he's not offering this kind of advice he just hasn't lived enough life maybe is the issue um yeah speaking of uh, people mm-hmm. who have said they have really good rhythm and last 30 seconds um <laughs> I, I was listening to an interview with you before uh in preparation and and you were you were sort of referring to maybe a sexual partner's body as a, w- w- the word was kind of a culinary term. It was a type of seafood. Does that sound familiar to you? Oh, my God. So he wasn't a sexual partner. Basically, I was in Miami. Uh, no, I wasn't. I was, was alive. at the Londoner in, in L.A. And I was by the pool, and this guy kept messaging me on Grindr, the app, mm-hmm. and sending me pictures. And it basically, there's a guy on British TV who is a judge. And he, it's very much like Judge Judy, but a male version of it, a very British version mm-hmm. of it. Hitting the gavel. Hello, hello. <laughs> and basically, it was him messaging me. And he had this amazing six pack. It's, you know, he had a body. Uh, so we were calling him the prawn because, you know, it's like you keep the body, the body and throw away the head. You know what I mean? Because he's like the most ugly, ugliest fucker that ever walked the earth. Yeah, and that came up in the conversation. That was the Valentine, right? That is, that is really I had I had never heard that, and there was something. Cool. It, it really it really worked out well. The That's body a, tastes great, but you take that head off and throw I it away. Throw the head in the bin straight away, mate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was uh, you were in L.A. on Grinder. That's right. I think you were at the the London Hotel, which seems a little too on the nose for you, Tony. I must say. Don't <laughs> <laughs> even start me about that trip. I got caught out so many times. Yes, that was that wasn't that was a sex addiction trip. Are we recovering from sex addiction as well, or is that something you're just still grappling with? I'm now in a loving relationship uh, for the first time in my life, where it's completely transparent, and I've been in it for 18 months, and there are no secrets, and that is the secret to mm-hmm. knocking that stuff on the head. Because as soon as you allow a secret to manifest within any relationship. Whether it be a friendship, whether it be a sexual relationship, whether it be a personal relationship with your like a family member or whatever, as soon as that secret manifests, mm-hmm. it kind of turns into something else. And then once we get away with that secret, we allow other secrets to come in. So then before you know it, you've got chaos. So for the first time in my life, I'm not in, in active sex addiction. I'm an addict. I can get, I can have sushi on Monday and still. Be, and have it Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday if it's that good. You know <laughs> yes, yes, then, yes. Then it becomes a problem because I've had that much raw fish that my bowels can't take it or whatever else. <laughs> or whatever I do in an addic- addictive way becomes a problem. You'll find a way to ruin sushi is what you're saying. Oh, so I, 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 can, I can literally ruin anything. That's a good – that's me too, actually. That's cool. I, uh, I, ruin, I ruin my friend's good times every day. What is the – um? So, so you're in a relationship now as you're a little bit older. 
I guess what I'm asking is what kind of man can put up with you? Oh, uh, fucking someone on the same level, really. Some, you know, okay. The, the, the guy that I'm with, I met 11 years ago, right? Uh, first of all, I was, I used to live with my friend Boy George in, in, in a, in a, in a place in London called Hampstead. Yeah. And there's a really famous gay cruising area called Hampstead Heath. So Matt, he's been there for hundreds of years. I don't know what you're talking so about, like, bro. That sounds crazy. You, you, you <laughs> nodded when I said it. Um, so basically, Hampstead, anyway, I was in on George, and the deal was when George was away on tour, he didn't know what went on, he didn't care. But when he was back in, in his house, he didn't want me bringing guys around or anything like that, which was a good enough deal. Anyway, so th- this boy was arranged to meet me and come over that day, and he traveled two and a half hours to get to meet me. Been talking to him for ages on that. And uh, he turned up and I said, oh, I'm really sorry, but George is back, he can't come to the house. Uh, but I know a really good fucking bush on the hand, on Hampton <laughs> So off we went to this bush and uh, had sex in this bush. The next day I messaged him and I was like, hey, do you want to go out for some lunch or some dinner? He told me to fuck off. Um, um, funnily enough. And that was it. I didn't see him for 10 years. I, I didn't see him for 10 years. I was in a relationship with my last boyfriend for eight years. Just over a year and a half ago, it ended. Uh, in a very, 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 very bad way. And this boy, I bumped into this boy via a friend and started chatting to him. He needed help with other areas of addiction himself. Mm -hmm. So I kind of started helping him. And then I didn't know it was him. And then he explained to me what had happened. And I was like, wow, it's you. And from that moment, we kind of just got to know each other on, on a different level. And, and the reason he can take me and, and understand me is because he's been through it all himself. Mm-hmm. You know, when we met his mum, we both sat down and said to his mum, she wasn't happy about the age difference at first. She was kind of like, oh. And then when she got to, when she realised I had the mind of a 16-year-old, <laughs> it, everything changed. And, uh, you know, we said to her, oh, we've got so much in common. We both had syphilis three times. We've both done this. We've both done that. You know, it, it's, it's, we're on that level where there are no secrets most everything about me and i've never had that in my life where i've gone into a relationship with all my cards on the table i don't mean to pry but what's the age difference oh so he's 30 i'm 56 okay so that's okay so that's yeah that's a considerable age difference that's 29 (laughs) it's it's a little bit of an age difference but you know it's not really when we're we're, i'm younger than him mentally you know like my mind (laughs) but I, i i stopped i stopped aging the day i started doing drugs yeah, I stayed at that age. You you look amazing for a man of your age, though. I I just wanted to add that. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah, that, I'm I'm very impressed from years of destroying yourself that you've rebounded like this. Are you in the gym? Or are you just getting facials? Are you what? What are the teeth? What's the teeth story? I had well, you know, for me, uh, at the end of my addiction, I had one tooth left at the bottom of my mouth. I pulled all the rest of the tooth out with screwdrivers and pliers and sticks and. <laughs> I have a thing called meth mouth where your mouth, I thought I had animals living in my mouth. And yes. I was completely, and my mouth went septic. It took, it took a lot of fucking courage, first of all, to go and get that sorted out. To go to a dentist and say, look what I've done to myself. Yeah. I remember they removed all the, all the broken teeth, the bits of, and they had to like operate on me so much and put new bits of bone in because of the disease got into the bone and everything else that had happened. Uh, and then they, I remember them taking my teeth out, and I, and I remember saying, okay, can I get new teeth now? And they were like, oh, no, not for a year. <laughs> and I was so devastated. Even though I walked around like it for four years, I was so devastated I couldn't have new teeth. 
uh, I, I, I went on the black market and found a dentist that would do it. And I, off, you know, old ways, right? And I went off and found this dentist and he basically did loads of work for me, kind of like against the grain. Uh, and then I had to have it all taken out a year later. But that was okay because it got me to that point. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Now for me, it's about looking after yourself. I, you know, as I say, I don't self-loathe anymore. I think that, that shows mm. in everything I do within the way I, I, I feel. You know, I'm a happy person. Yeah. 28 years of addiction. I didn't drink water for like 18 years. You know, literally I thought that there was water in Jack Daniels because it said distilled water on the bottle. And that's not the lie. That's not me making it up. I thought, okay, I don't need to drink water. That's got this bit. That's made me I'm good. I'm good with that. You go on saying to you. Uh, and, you know, my liver and everything else, I just come out of it unscathed in that sense. It all replenished. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as I said, I don't look like a fifty-six-year-old apart from my grey hair. Grey is sexy now, you know. It's we, we've accepted that as a society. It's different. You know what I mean? I'm a daddy. I'm a hot daddy. I know who I am. <laughs> <laughs> I know who I am. You were saying you were saying that there's no secrets in your current relationship, and that's the big difference. Does that mean you guys are in an open relationship, and you guys communicate about that, or no? Completely monogamous. If you see my boyfriend, you'll understand. <laughs> I'm really happy with where I'm at with him and where I'm at personally. Mm-hmm. And that kind of, I just don't, you know, I'm in such a good place. I, I, I truly believe that I've found what I've been looking for for the last 40 odd years. Beautiful. It really is. That's beautiful. I'm in such a good place with it. Um, there's never any questioning of why, why did you act like that? Why did you do this? I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I, I go from 0 to 700 at the click of a finger. If you know, if something's not, if something, someone's rude to me or whatever, I fly, and he he handles that really well. Mm-hmm. Other people would be like, "Ah, oh, fuck, you're mental." I'm going. He's like, he's like, "What are you doing?" And I'm like, oh, "You know, I forget." Do you know what I mean? That there's still that side of me that will, that's still quite destructive. Instead of like, I'm a very good reactor still rather than an actor, and I think the act the action's getting better as I get older. Mm-hmm. And the reactions are getting less, but were um, less. But all it takes is someone to be rude or arrogant, and it, it really gets my back up. I have to say something. Mm-hmm. What you see is what you get with me. And if someone's pissing me off, I fucking tell them they're pissing me off. Whether it be a shop assistant, or whether it be, so you know, for instance, I, I yesterday I was in a shop and I said to the woman, "Hey, are you finished with the Is it right?" And she ignored me. And I was like, "You fucking rude bitch." <laughs> You know what I mean? There's no reason to ignore people. But I, instead of saying it in my mind, I vocalize it. Mm-hmm. We need more people like you, honestly. But I, you know, you brought up shop assistant. I, I have read a little bit about you as well. And, and I, I know that you like shopping. And, and you were, you know, I read, an, I read an anecdote that you were like, yeah, I would make money on the weekend and I'd be broke by Thursday. Uh-huh. And obviously there's drugs and, you know, et cetera, of course. But like. Yeah. What are we? What are we buying at this point? I mean, I, I have excuses to shop now. You know, I have to. I have to look good in work for work. Mm. When you suddenly go to a level of like your career goes to a different level, and you are in the public eye, or you are doing certain things, you can't keep wearing the same fucking pair of jeans and the same shirt. You know, mm-hmm. that doesn't cut it. You have to have. You know, I'm 56, right? Mm-hmm. There's a million and one other DJs out there who are much younger than me trying to bite my ankles. I need to look the bollocks. I have to feel the bollocks. You know, that's a part of what I do and who I am. So it's a really fucking good excuse to go out 
and, sh- and buy what I want. Uh, you know, I'm also very blessed in the sense that because I work in fashion, mm-hmm. I would rather go into a shop and buy what I want than wait for it to be gifted because I swear I get my high. I get high from going in and saying, okay, I really want that and buying it. Do you know what I mean? Me too, Tony. Throw it in the bag, baby. I know exactly what you're talking about. And I'll have it in three different colors. You know what I mean as well. You know, just <laughs> add to it. You know, I, I you know, I've got, I live in a really nice flat and I've got like lots of bedrooms that aren't bedrooms anymore. They're now walking wardrobes. <laughs> and sometimes I get to this point where I think, okay, I'm not wearing any of this. We have a lockup full of stuff as well. Let's just give it all away. So we go to that point and we, we give it all away to, to, to the local it's a really good charity shop in Pimlico where I live. They get it all. Wow, we got to go check out that charity shop, Jason. We're, we're missing out on some nice trousers. Over the years from the beginning, how many times have you completely lost and regained an, an entire new wardrobe of clothes? Or are there pieces that you've kept your entire life? I don't have anything I've kept, I've kept my entire life. In the 80s, I lost everything I had in the 90s. I lost everything I had in the 2000s. I lost, you know, everything in recovery mm-hmm. I've lost. Also had stolen or given away. You know, I'm very, very, when it comes to things, you know, they're very momentary with me. I like, I'll get something and I'll wear it for a couple of weeks and then I won't wear it again. Or back in the 80s, I lost my house. I, you know, I got the dream home, bought it, for, I had this massive record deal, bought that house. I only had that house for seven months <laughs> and it got repossessed. <laughs> Because I was doing too many drugs, and I left with one thing, and that was a mirror that I did the did coke off of. <laughs> Took that mirror, left everything else, and the way I looked at it was okay. Well, I just get, I can get that again. I'm getting my dog passed away six months ago, and uh, I'm getting a new dog. And I was on the phone to the breeder before this, and I, I was almost crying talking to her about looking at the pictures of the puppies. You know, she was like, "We're talking about how much it's going to cost, blah blah blah, and all that stuff," and I was just like. If that doesn't matter. For me, it's another chapter of my life, another 12 years, mm-hmm. you know, that I'm going to have unconditional love. And you can't put price on that. Things that come into my life are, are for a reason. And they're here for, because they're really important to me. Do you know what I mean? I don't really sort of surround myself anymore with idiot people or any of that stuff. Everyone who's in my life is in my life for a reason, a good reason, not because of what they can do for me or what I can get from them. You you mentioned back when you were doing cocaine, yeah. it was sort of, it was like the opposite, like when people take Ritalin yeah. and it calms them down. You said that sometimes cocaine, you would take it to sort of calm you down because you suffered from something called gay DHD, which is another <laughs> phrase that I hadn't heard before either. Most people, ADHD is very common, you know, but mine is gay DHD, so it's much more dramatic and much more over the top, you know. My ADHD sometimes is so off the scale. So if I drink coffee, anything that would stimulate anyone else has the, has the opposite effect on me. So, so some, the majority of the time when I was taking cocaine, it would suppress instead of most people, you give them a line, they go fucking bonkers. Mm-hmm. With me, I would go inwards, not outward. It would always go in. Mm-hmm. You know, people would be like, Oh, I can't believe that you're, you know, you're, you're calm. I was never calm. Sure. sure. So then if you like it, when you, when you, if you drink a bunch of alcohol, does that make you go crazy and then you need a little coke to kind of level back down? Is that how it went? Always, yeah. It was always roller coasting. Mm-hmm. You know, I would, drink coke, I would drink alcohol to calm the coke down, to take the edge off things. By day three, when my mind's completely gone, 
and I, you know, and I, you know, my whole body's gone numb and I'm tingling, or, or I, you know, feel like my skin's about to fall off. You know, I would always think, okay, now's the time to take this, and now's the time to take that. Mm-hmm. And it would always be this concoction that I always thought was kind of like balancing me out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there was nothing to balance out. It was all on the floor. <laughs> DJing. On, on, a, on like DJing on a three day bender, that you you would say that's when you kind of reach the sweet spot, yeah. which I guess is sort of an analogy of what you're just saying there. Like when you're three days in, what is that DJ set sounding like? Mm-hmm. Like do you like in your mind you think you're killing it, but does everyone else agree? Like are you actually killing it? Three days in, I would I would actually play my best set because I wasn't thinking about what everyone else is thinking about me, and I was there and I was just doing it. I'd be fucking tripping out my mind and the middle of the records would turn into flowers and, oh, just, you know, it, the insanity would take over. But that was when I was really just didn't give a shit and I would really go for it. You know, then there'd be like other times when day two or day on day three that I would be so pranged that I couldn't even put a record on because I just was so paranoid that I, I was scared to touch the needle and all of that stuff. So you're, you're, you're able to DJ... Uh, and this was playing vinyl. Yeah. So you you must be truly the world's best beat matching DJ because I mean like every every DJ now in 2022 the thought of mixing two records together on vinyl seems like the most difficult thing in the world. You were doing it after <laughs> I learned on vinyl. That's what I learned. That's how I learned my uh, my you know beat matching. Not always. Do you know what I'm saying? It's more about. <laughs> It was always about throwing the right record on at the right time. Mm-hmm. I had a knack for going, you know, one thing I've always done is read that energy off, off the dance floor. Do you get what I mean? Didn't mean I always read it right, but I always read it. Yeah, vinyl was really, you know, people go, oh, yeah, you can't beat vinyl. Yes, you fucking can. <laughs> carry a USB, you know, carrying two fucking boxes mm-hmm. of vinyl. You can beat it. You know what I'm saying to you? But, you know, I just... I, DJing on a laptop's not DJing. That's just been a wanker. I agree. I, I knew I knew that was coming. I knew that was coming because Jason preaches that as well because there's nothing cooler than showing up with a, a USB stick and just jumping right in. Of course. I have a bag that I take to every gig with me with about 30 USB sticks. In it. <laughs> I know what everything is on, on those USB sticks. I know what folders they're in, what files they're in. I will go through them. And I'll pull out people like, why? Because I'm like, I know what I'm doing. Just shut the fuck up. <laughs> For me, you know, people that use the sync button or they, they use tractor or any of those things, fuck off. Fuck off. We have record box now. Use record box. Get into it. It makes your life easier. But also what it does is there's no excuse for using tractor or sync buttons or rip or, you know, any of those fucking things where you're not doing your job. Mm-hmm. You know, people, the other thing that pisses me off about these is when they, I'm just at home sorting out my set for tonight. What the fuck are you sorting out? Do you know what I mean? What are you sorting out? Do you know what I mean? You've got your tracks on a stick. Go to the job, rip the crowd, feel the energy, and you will know what to play. Don't be saying, I'm going to play this after this, this after this, doing the track list. Fucking hell. Well, you know, it's like, that's not DJing. That's selecting music. There's a difference. Mm-hmm. If you're on a dance floor that you're not feeling the music, you walk off that dance floor. I've seen DJs have a packed dance floor, go on and buy four records in, be completely empty that dance floor because they're not connected. They're not feeling the energy. 
They're not giving the energy back. They have a game plan and they're going to stick with it no matter what the crowd is. Because they're not a DJ. That's your job. Your job is to make those, read that crowd and make them dance. That's why I've been doing my job for so fucking long. Because I'm not scared to play something that some bedroom wanker that sits at home right on. When I did my, I did, there's a magazine called Mixed Mag and they have a lab series. And I did this, uh, when I did the documentary for them, I did a, a lab session where we have all people coming to the studio and it was their most viewed ever lab in the history of Mixed Mag. And the amount of wankers that wrote, oh my God, my three-year-old can mix better than him. You know, I call them bedroom Brian's because they're at home with their keyboard writing this shit. They've never played a record in their life. They've never been anywhere in their life. Do you get what I mean? <laughs> what they want to do is tear you down because they're so fucking full of jealousy and bitterness. You know, um, and you're always going to get them and they're the ones that always think they know best. Oh, they'll be the one that will tell you vinyl's better than them. Yeah, you can't play a vinyl. Do you know what I mean? Fuck off. You're fucking 20. You didn't even know what vinyl is you are. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) And you also have no problems playing the same song multiple times over over a night as well, right? Well, no, of course not. Why would I? You know, it depends where I'm playing. You know, it's like certain things, certain gigs. Say I've just done Ibiza somewhere. I was doing high. You know, I didn't play multiple songs over and over again there. It was a different kind of set. If I'm doing mm-hmm. some party, it's a private party, or, and I read the crowd and I think this is the right moment for that record, and I played it at two hours before, I'll fucking play it again. Because you've got to remember, there's more than one fucking mix of everything, right? <laughs> and, you know, it's so what you do with that track, whether you loop it, mm-hmm. be, you know, there's so many things you can do as a DJ to make it more exciting than the first time you played it. Well, um, yeah, and that also reminds me of your of your no K no play situation, which is also, I mean, like the it, it, hearing your stories of you DJing back then, it, it makes me so envious of how going to the club now is just so pathetic compared to what it was back then. It was a free place where you just really scream at people, smoking, drinking, drugs, sex, yeah. no clothes. It's just that's what a real club experience should be. And it's so hard to find that nowadays, especially, I mean, it's impossible in America. Well, you know, you've got, you know, you've got these mythical clubs like Bergheim in Berlin and, and all of these places. So many generations, younger generations think that they, they've really found the mythical place. Right? They never went to area. They never went to Palladium. They never went to any of these amazing venues and parties that were on before. You know, Save the Robots in New York. All of these mental places that we could go and we could be ourselves and do what we wanted to do, regardless of race and sexuality, those venues didn't really give a fuck about that stuff. You know, you could go and, and, and live your life and be, and, and, and as you say, smoke drugs, dance, get have sex in the toilets with 20 people. You know, that doesn't happen mm-hmm. anymore because there's too many rules and regulations. And we live in a woke world. God forbid, any you see two people going into a toilet now. You've got 20 people that will go and say, excuse me, there's two people in that toilet. <laughs> Lucky there's not 20 people in that toilet. <laughs> it, 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 it's really bizarre, you know, the way things have changed. And I kind of just think, you know, it's got a lot to do with the drugs that changed as well. Remember that. We've done most of all of the drugs that you have done. Oh, obviously, you know, in the 80s, there, the purity was a lot different and, and it was a lot better, but we never got a chance to have a quaalude. Have you have you had a quaalude yourself? Oh my God, I love quaaludes. Quaaludes were amazing. The closest thing to a quaalude was a Rohit. Okay. 
Okay, let me write that down. That's with they, H. Rx, but they, they stopped making it because it became a date rape drug. Oh, yeah. You can still get it, but it, they, it's got a different name now. But, you know, uh, and they, they, they kind of changed the recipe on it, like they did mm-hmm. with Loose. They got rid of Loose, you know, and they got rid of Tomazepam. Tomazepam, in those little jelly forms, they came in liquid form inside, like a little leg. And you would, like, just, you know, you could bite it and just suck the insides out. Amazing. But, you know, <laughs> you know my favourite of them all was the diazepam that used to squirt up your ass. Suppository. You, you just squirt up because if someone's having a fit or a seizure, you, you squirt up their ass and, and it, it hits them instantaneously mm-hmm. because it's a blood scene flicker, i.e. why everyone used to put E up their ass. And, mm-hmm. I'll put this up your ass. Let me blow this up your, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. The story of Stevie Nicks myths. You know, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, that's because it goes into the bloodstream quicker. So there were like times when 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 suddenly you couldn't get Rohimnol and it would be squirty diazepam. And I mean, the amount of times I'd have like all my mates over to my house as straight boys and I'd, I'd be like squirting fucking diazepam up in straight boys' asses just so they could go out and get off their nuts and do what they did. You know, those days are gone. <laughs> I don't, thinking about it, talking about it like that makes me miss it. I miss that, the, the scenario, but I don't miss the outcome. Yes. I think that's very healthy to miss those parts of that of your life. I don't know where it goes. I know where I'll end up, but I always end up. You go on century. Always. I want to ask about the book. Um, you know, I, I was aware of you uh, for years just from being on the World Wide Web and being a fan of all things British, but I think the book really, you know, You've got your your jacket blurbs are from Tracy Eamon and uh, and Kate Moss, which makes me want to buy it, and I'm sure worked for other people. On the back, he's got the veterans, Kelly Osborne, he's got Mark Jacobs. Mm-hmm. Did did you you wrote this book with someone, right? Like you had a little help. I did an article with this guy called Mikey Hennigan who wrote it with me, uh, and we did like a series of stuff in different magazines about the eighties and the nineties, mm-hmm. and then I did a documentary for Mixmag about my addiction. Yeah, and so many people were coming to me saying, "Oh, you need to write a book," and I was like, "Well, I, I wanted to write one for ages because there was so much more to my story than addiction, and also I wanted people to know how the fuck it suddenly went from that to that, and I lost everything." And you know, there's sections of the book that are about abuse, mm. abuse for four years as a child that I never ever discussed and brought, you know, never talked to anyone about. There was parts about you know, HIV and AIDS and, and the epidemic and mm-hmm. all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. I never discussed because I don't need to discuss it, or so I thought. So, you know, I wanted to put it all in there because I kind of just thought people need to understand what we went through and what we go through. You're really, they see you on Instagram and you're posting all this funny stuff. There's a reason I post that funny stuff. is because that stuff comes from fucking past trauma. Yeah. And I wanted to put it in the book and, you know, we started writing the book and it took two and a half years to write because me and Mikey, who wrote it together, argued every fucking day. He'd come to my house and he'd do my fucking nothing, you know, and so he'd come back and he would have changed words like jolly. Who the fuck have I ever used the word jolly? Do you know what I mean? I'd be like, why do you put jolly in there? Tell that fucking out. And then we'd erupt and he'd go off and not talk to me for two weeks and they'd come back. Um, and, you know, it was a real process. And throughout that time, when we started writing the, 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 I started to do the, the abuse chapter and I got really ill. I thought that I had COVID. I thought that I had food poisoning, but I hadn't. What it had done was by just discussing 
that stuff it had brought it to the surface. That night, I I woke up to get with the worst fever. I had the worst fever dreams about the guy that abused me. And what it had done was it brought it all to the surface, and I'd suppressed it for like over thirty years, not discussed it with anyone. So I had to go off and go do trauma therapy for a year, like intense trauma therapy, so that I could just cope with writing the rest of the book. Because there's stuff in there that, you know, my life was really good before I was writing the book. You know, I got to a level where my career was amazing. I was doing all these incredible things. And I would wake up at 3 a.m. and I'd think, what the fuck have you done? Why have you put that in the book? Why have you told the world mm-hmm. about you being HIV positive? Why have you told the world about what you did with that person? Or what the, and all of that stuff, you're going to get, the world's going to hate you for it. You know, so I would lay awake from three o'clock in the morning till nine o'clock in the morning. By nine o'clock, I'd want to kill myself because that's how my mind works. Then I would work out of bed and I'd be like, oh, what was all that about? <laughs> you know, and, and, and so the process went on. And the book's the, probably the best, one of the best things I've ever done in my life. Just about to win two awards for it. There's a magazine called Attitude and a magazine called GQ. I've won the book of the year with both of them. You know, what the fuck? You know what I'm saying? It's like, what the fuck? You know, every day I'm, I get so many messages. It came out in May, the book, in hardback in England. And it has already gone into re- reprint already in hardback, which they weren't going to do until next year because it sold so many copies. And it's continuing to sell every day. It's, it's you know, it's kind of, it's remarkable. The amount of messages that I get from people that are opening up about not only their addiction or the loss of a partner or the loss of a son, but they're also opening up about abuse. They're opening up about mm. where they've been accused of rape. They're, 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 you know, there's so much in my book that it's a book of honesty and no one writes honest books. You know, my publisher was like, no one writes a book like, like with that kind of honesty in it. They kind of like always will only tell you what they want to tell you. Uh, you know, there was one review where it said the only person that comes out of this book on Glaze is Tony. But there's a real a real superpower in <laughs> I just wanted it to be honest. And, you know, Boy George said to me, you don't have to tell everyone everything. And that was probably the biggest argument I've ever had with him was, yes, we do. I think it's really important that people understand where I come from and what I've been through. And that that my life is so amazing today because it's not about the things I do, it's about the things I've done through. Mm-hmm. So, do you have uh, has a publisher already said you know what we got round for book number two or what's you know going on we there? we got paperback next which comes out in May. Mm-hmm. I'm writing for, uh, three or four new chapters for that. Oh, nice! We're doing a chapter. The first chapter we're writing, which we're starting at the moment, is called "Oh Shit, I Forgot," um, which is all the things that I forgot to put in the first book. <laughs> uh, which is been, and then there's another chapter called "It's Been Brought to My Attention." Because everyone wants to bring something to your attention when you write a book. Oh, do you remember this? Did you do that? Yeah. Actually. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. So yeah, that's that. And then it comes out. It, it comes out in the states on the eleventh of October. Now, did any of your mates come to you and say, "Really, bro? You, you had to you had to air me out like that, or was everybody okay with it?" What I did was I changed everyone's name in the book. There's no one. There's no stories on anyone. There's no stories on anyone. Every story in the book. It's, it's important in its own right. It doesn't need to know. No one needs to know who it was. There's one story about probably one of the most famous actors in the entire world who's still alive <laughs> and his daughter. Um, and, you know, it's not important. 
that in. Yeah. If I put who that was about, that would be front page news all around the world. That would detract from what my book was about. That would make that all about that book. And people, you know, it, 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 it's not important. The story is what's important. It's not what, who took part in the story apart from me. Do you know what I'm saying to you? Yeah, no, I, I like I'm this. the really common denominator in all of mm-hmm. the, all of the, the drama. <laughs> you know, and that's why it's so, I didn't want to do a kiss and tell book. It's too easy to do that rubbish. And that's not who I am. You know, I gave the books, first of all, to Kate Mossery. Kate is one of my oldest friends. Because I wanted her to understand that what type of book it was. Because when you say to your friends, I'm writing a book, and you know everyone's secret, they're all like, you know, mm-hmm. fuck, what is he going to put in there? <laughs> and I wanted, for them, I wanted her more to, out of anyone to, to read it and to understand it. You know, it's her favorite thing. She loves the book more than anything in the world. And, you know, well, I, I used to hear people do interviews and go, oh, and she loves that book. But she actually fucking loves the book. And she gets everyone to read it. She sends it to everyone. You know, mm-hmm. because it's it's not what people thought it was going to be. There's stories about Concord and all that shit for my early life. But there's not stories about so-and-so did this and so-and-so did that. It's not like that. It's I did this and I did that. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Any scandal is based around me. You know, and there's enough in that fucking book. Trust me, we don't need to write anyone else's family. <laughs> well, uh, well la- lastly, um, we're we're both big fans of of the Smiths over here for many years. Any uh, any Morrissey stories in that book, or any personal ones yourself? <laughs> I love Morrissey. I always like, will love Morrissey, but fuck me, sort yourself out, Morrissey. <laughs> End of story. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Jesus Christ, he does need to sort himself out. I would agree with you on that. I've got real close friends that are really close with him. And, you know, that aren't talking to him anymore. And they, they're, they're lifelong friends. And really? It's kind of, you know, mental health, mental health, man. You know, who am I to judge in someone else's mental health or where they're at or what their wishes are? Yeah. You know, as far as you see, it's very easy to be sick as they sort yourself out, Morris. But, you know, who knows what else is going on? Do you sure, know what I mean? Good point. Um, He's a fucking genius. The best of all time. Yeah. What What, what was it like back in London? You know, in mid eighties, King Street. Everyone's getting into the Smiths back then. When you first heard it, what was it like? It's amazing. You know, when Morrissey came along, he broke the mold. You know, just that charming man era of that whole time of watching him and Culture and all of those people that really didn't give a fuck about their sexuality mm. and the way they performed. You know, we didn't know at that point in time, we didn't care what sexuality Morrissey was. You know, we didn't care. You know, what we cared, cared about was the pocket full of gladioli <laughs> and, the, and the flowers and, and all of that stuff. That, 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 that in itself was more of a mystery than does Morrissey suck cock. Do you know what I'm saying, Jerry? It, mm-hmm. And that was, that was what the, that time really was about. It really wasn't about who you slept with or who did what. We had that going on. We had tabloid papers that would do that for us, mm-hmm. bring out the worst and everyone, everyone's worst secrets. You know, and it's like, you know, we are very, very, very blessed to come from a time where, you know, it's like yesterday I posted a picture on my Instagram of Paul Weller holding my book. Fuck, man, it's Paul Weller. You know, I've known him all my life, right? I've known him since I was 16, but it's still Paul fucking Weller. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes, I do. <laughs> and for him to send me it and say, oh, babe, I've got your book, it's even, and I just, it, it, you know, it blows me away, and it's just, I'm very blessed to come from an era 
where we didn't have social media and we didn't have it in the palm of our hands. So we all had to get up and graft. So every one of those people, those heroes, the heroes for a fucking reason, because they're fucking good at what they do. Mm-hmm. They're not good at what they post. <laughs> Anyone can be good at what they post and make themselves look good. But, you know, in fact, from that era, you had to be fucking good to get where you got to. And that's why they're legends. Well put. Well put, Tony. Thank you for joining us today. Yeah, the books come the book comes out in a week here in America. If you're anywhere else in the world, you should be able to get it now on hardback. I can't wait to read it. And you've inspired I feel like I want I want to read this book and then I also want to write a book as well because it, it 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 looks like it feels so good to get it done with and, and enjoy this part of your life. Honestly, you know, that that, that I don't think I've ever had uh, anything better than being given the first copy. Yeah. Just, I, I them. It makes me cry, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, very quickly, I, I, they, I did a Zoom. You know, I was in Ibiza working, and my publishers, I did a publisher's Zoom while I was away, and they, they had the copy of the book on Zoom. And I was like, what, is that the actual copy? And they were like, yeah. I was like, I'm coming to London tomorrow. Can I come and get it? And they were like, we've only got one copy here. And I was like, can I come and get it? And they agreed to give it to me. And I remember getting off the plane and going and collect it. And I, turned, I opened the pages, and I'd forgotten who I dedicated it to. I dedicated it to my dog, and she had died mm. three weeks ago. And the publishers had changed it to, because I dedicated the book to unconditional love and to my dog, Taylor, who never judged, uh, and who never judges. That's what I wrote. And then finally to my mom and all the women of the world and other addicts. But they changed the, the, the wording from, instead of who never judges, to who never judged. And I, I broke, I cried oh. for four hours solidly. And, you know, it was probably just the most amazing experience just to write that, get it out there, and have it in hardback in your hand. Because there's no going back once that's done. Yeah, and and to have a team that took the care to go in and make that edit after your dog had passed to make sure, like, that means that they weren't just, like, some money bullshit, let's get it done, but they really, they really believed in it. That's amazing. And now when you go to these... You know, fancy, uh, you know, parliament parties over there at Buckingham Palace. When somebody says, Oh, what do you do? You don't have to say, I'm a DJ anymore. <laughs> I'm a Sunday Times best selling author. <laughs> That's right, baby. <laughs> exactly. And you better buy it and read it. We'll buy it. We'll buy it. Uh, thank you, Tony. DJ Fat Tony, thank you so much. Thank you so much, guys. Good luck. Change, things to go.